It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Foy, how can I help you this evening? Thank you. This is Foy, Doug. Yes, ma'am. And I have uh, about 94 acres on, on the market for sale down in Moore County. Uh-huh. If I sell it, do I have to pay a uh, uh, tangible tax on it? Well, you'd have to pay capital gains tax. Capital if, gains. If, well, it depends now. Let's let's talk about this for a second. Is this your residence? No, I don't live on it. No. All right. And how did you ha- how did you come by the property? I inherited from my husband when he died. Do you know what the value of it was at the time of his death? No, I sure don't. Well, if you go back to the estate tax return, you'll find that out. Okay. And uh, do you have it? What are you going to sell it for? What's the value of it today? I don't know, but I'm trying to sell it for twenty six hundred an acre. All right, let's see. If you're going to sell it for twenty six hundred an acre times ninety four acres, you're talking about two hundred and forty four thousand dollars. That's about a quarter million dollars. Right. Now you got to back off from there and see what do you think it was worth at the time that he died, and then I can help you with the taxes. I have no idea what it was worth. I sure don't. Let's say it was worth a hundred thousand. Then you'd have a hundred and forty four thousand dollar capital gain. That's a, what we call long-term capital gain. You with me? I, I, I'd have to pay one hundred forty-four thousand. No, not yet. You'd have to pay tax on one hundred forty-four thousand. Oh, okay. And that would only be about fifty-one thousand dollars of taxes. God, no. But you don't have to. There are ways around that, by the way. What's the What's the roundaway? Well, it's a little complicated, but I I'm doing one right now for a client in my office. This is I. This is where he has what we call low basis land. Low basis land is land which was, wasn't worth very much when he got it, but it's gone up very high. And to sell it now is this huge capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case in your case here, then uh, what we're doing in his, in his position is we're setting up what we call a double trust strategy. And a double trust strategy is basically – some people call them wealth preservation trust and wealth replacement trust. Mm-hmm. What we do is we basically give the property away to one trust and then have that trust sell the property. And the trust sells the property and the income from the trust goes back to the person who gave it away, namely yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, now let me ask you this, uh, do you have... Who, who is your uh, who is your estate go to for? My kids, my son, and my daughter. All right, so you would ultimately want this two hundred and forty four thousand to pass on to your children, right? right. Mm-hmm. So we now set up a second trust to go ahead and pass on this quarter of a million dollars, 
and we set up these two trusts where you get the income from the one and the principal goes to your kids from the other and you pay no taxes. Okay. And if that helps, give me a call at my office, and I'll see if I can schedule a little time to get together with you and walk you through it a little more carefully. Or walk you, or if you want, you can bring your attorney, and we'll talk together, and I'll show him how to do it. And that number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay. Well, what is this now that you can sell if you, if you own it, if you live in it, and don't have to pay this? Uh, cap again. It's only for residents, for oh, sure. <laughs> Uncle Sam's too smart for that. And I might figure that would may happen to me. <laughs> That's all right. You can do it this other way if you want. That's real. There's a real nice way. The double trust works real fine, and you don't have to pay any taxes at all that way. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for calling, Foy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Another topic that might be on people's minds in regard to financial planning and how to get started is just in general, the financial plan. We often reference it because it's a fundamental tenet of our business. It's where we begin. You know, Deborah, in an industry filled with professionals who are calling themselves planners and with baby boomers reaching retirement en masse, it's remarkable that clients might still go home without a comprehensive retirement plan. Yeah, a plan, you know, a tangible record that clearly identifies your goals and the steps necessary to help reach them. A map, a blueprint, whatever you want to call it. It's something that covers the basics from budgeting and income to long-term care and estate planning and everything in between. You know, a lot of people that visit our office that are seeking a second opinion, often they already have a financial advisor. And sometimes it's a good relationship that has lasted many years. But they still want to know, what do I do differently in my situation or what might what might be missing in my scenario? You know, when I hear that, I'm quick to recognize and to congratulate them on their existing relationship. Working with a financial advisor indicates that they're proactive, that they're organized, they're serious about achieving their long-term goals. But I always suggest by starting to look, by suggesting that I look at the financial plan, their current plan. And I'm not exaggerating when I say no one ever, ever has shown me a written retirement financial plan. Sure, we've been shown lots of investment statements, pie charts, life and annuity contracts, and the occasional Excel spreadsheet. But this is just paperwork. A lucky few might have some strategic justification for the positions and their projections. But an investment strategy is not the same thing as a comprehensive retirement plan. Yeah, even if you have a written plan, unless you're looking at all things that impact your money and lifestyle, your plan may be one-dimensional. Be sure your plan includes the following things. And we've made a short list. Number one, retirement. When? How much and how long? Yeah, any strategic endeavor requires a clearly defined goal. When do you want to retire? How much spendable income do you want to have every month for the rest of your life? How long do you think you'll live? Record your answers. This is your foundation. Secondly, you want to look at other goals. 
You need to measure the impact of ancillary goals that will affect your transition in the years beyond. Will you stay in your current home? Do you need a new vehicle? Are you done paying for weddings and college tuition? Is it important to provide your heirs an inheritance? Will you need to care for or provide for any living parents? All of your financial commitments, no matter how big or small, they should all be considered. So the first is retirement, how much and how long. The second are the goals. The third is an income focus. When you're retired, what matters most is whether your assets are positioned to deliver desired income as consistently and with as little risk as possible for the rest of your life. Speaking of risk, you need to really analyze how much risk you can take, whether by need or necessity. And this is the fourth thing you should consider and the fourth thing that should be in your financial plan. You may need to withdraw money from your retirement accounts to provide additional income. The rate of return on your investments will need to achieve and provide that amount of income. It's not easy taking these withdrawals when you're worried about losing money or running out. Yeah, the fifth item that should be in your written financial plan is a stress test. How does the plan hold up in a worst-case scenario, like a major market correction? In retirement, you know, that's very difficult. Instead of taking money out when things are going up, it can be mathematically impossible to recover from a big loss without having to downsize your lifestyle or your living situation. A sixth item to consider is tax reduction. The IRS won't go easy on you in retirement. Sure, you might end up in a lower income tax bracket, but you're also introduced to a slew of retirement-specific pitfalls. Did you know that up to 85% of Social Security benefits might be taxable? And let's not forget the requirement uh, minimum distributions, that's your RMDs, with mandated withdrawals on your qualified retirement accounts that sometimes inadvertently triggers higher taxes and other penalties. So in this financial plan, this retirement plan that should be written, you should have a seventh section called uh, survivor needs. If you're married, you should consider how the surviving spouse will be affected. At the very least, one of the Social Security checks is going to go away. They might even end up paying more taxes, having now landed in the single tax bracket. Anticipated changes to other sources of income and expenses and the living situation should be considered well in advance. Doug, Linda, an eighth element of this financial plan should be legacy planning. Attention should be paid to the circumstances under which the assets you are transferring will be inherited. Because inherited wealth can give and invite guilt, marriage issues, or even be used irresponsibly. While this is a lot of retirement planning strategies to consider, one size does not fit all. So there may be much more you'll need to cover and to be adequately prepared. You deserve a plan that provides a clear path, connecting your goals to your resources and one that's mindful of all of retirement's many facets. If you come to see us, that's what you will get. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Steve, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you? Well, Doug, I'm interested in your feeling about a 15 versus a 30-year fixed mortgage. I, I currently have an adjustable rate, and I'm thinking about refinancing. And I'm 
Tell me a little bit about yourself, Steve. About, what's, your, what's your income level? Um, I make about 63. 63,000? Yeah. You married a single? Married. Married. Your wife working? Yes, yeah, she makes about 60. So you've got 123,000 between you? Right. All right. Combined income, 123,000. What, what's your investment pool look like, by the way? What do you own? Um, we've, we've got about a little over $200,000 invested. In what kind of investments? Mutual funds, stocks, uh, 401ks. The 401ks obviously are broken down into um, stocks, some bonds, and some. How much of your investment pool is not? Because your 401k would be hard to tap if things change. But how much of your investment pool is personally owned? Outside of the 401k? Right. Um, about 65 to 70. About 65 to 70 liquid. All right. And how old are you? 36. 36 years old. Why are you going with a... Now, did you say you've got a 15-year? No, we have an adjustable rate. Okay. And thinking about refinancing and going into a fixed rate. What's the size of the mortgage? $130,000. $130,000 mortgage? Well, you definitely need a 30-year mortgage. Okay, Why? Number one, because you've got an income of $123,000, and unless I'm figuring it wrong, you've got a tax problem. Well, I, the way I look at it, and maybe I look at it wrong, is if I pay a dollar to the bank, I save 35 cents or so in taxes. And I guess I would just as soon not pay the dollar to the bank and keep the 65 cents. Then why are you calling me? To find out if my thinking is wrong. Yes, your thinking's wrong. Okay. Okay. What's your next question? <laughs> Explain to me why um, my my logic is is false. Uh, well, I could do that, and I could waste a lot of time, but it's more a comfort level. I mean, if you've already got your mindset, I mean, I could show you spreadsheet after spreadsheet that you will always make more money redeploying that money and paying it off. If you're going to pay the same amount of money for the same mortgage, and by the way, you're usually going to pay more on a 15-year mortgage payment than on a 30-year mortgage payment. You go ahead and have the same payment, though, even if it were the same payment, and get to deduct the whole thing, which you will basically. In the early years of a mortgage, you're going to deduct almost all of it. It's going to all be interest. With a 30-year? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you take the same payment on a 15-year, and Uncle Sam's paying about a third of it the other way, and you're paying uh, a much bigger hunk this way. So you got lower taxes, number one. Then you can go ahead and you can invest that money. Now you run that compound out all the way for the next 30 years, and the wealth accumulation numbers will blow your mind. So take the biggest mortgage and stretch it out as long as possible. Uh huh. As long as your income supports the ability to make the mortgage payments, keep your equity out of the house, working for you separately. And as long as you've got uh, an emergency fund, and as long as you've got a large enough pool of liquid investments that if something happens, it's not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. But the concept of, gee, I'll get the mortgage paid off in 15 years and then I'll live forever in the house. First of all, you probably won't. Right. Which means that the equity should be out here aside from the house, outside of your roof working for you. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If I can provide any more information for you, you can call the office at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. We're here in Raleigh. I'll be happy to either send you some information or see what we can do to answer any more questions that you might have. Okay. Yeah, that, that's helpful. All right. I'm glad you had a chance to go ahead and call. Thank you again, Steve. You're welcome. 
Well, Doug, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a way to use the equity on their home. For anyone that does own some property, uh, you know, a home, that uh, the equity that they've accumulated in that home or that piece of property, they can use. You're right. You're advantage. right. What were you thinking of, Lynn? Well, I'm thinking especially of the seniors that um, maybe can obtain uh, a reverse annuity mortgage. Oh, RAM. known as a RAM, mm-hmm. yes. Good idea. And um, now, how's a RAM work? Well, basically, if you don't want to sell your current home, but you need additional income, then you can consider a reverse mortgage. And basically, a reverse mortgage is a loan that's against the equity in your home that will pay you, if you're over 62, a fixed monthly amount. And um, basically, as far as repayment of this principal and the interest, uh, you don't have to do that. It's deferred until the house is sold or else you would die, right? Wow, I think you, I think you're right on target, Lynn. The the Rams are one of the most exciting financial planning tools available to senior citizens. And basically, the income depends on the size of the mortgage and the life expect, expectancies of you and your spouse. So, um, I think in order to qualify for a reverse annuity mortgage, an individual must not have a mortgage currently on their home, right? Right, Doug. It yeah. must be owned. Cl- yeah, free and, and this clear. is the reverse of what you think of as a mortgage. Instead of you making payments to the bank, the bank starts sending you a check every single month and you never have to pay it back. It's a federally insured program for homeowners over the age of 62 and it lets them get an income stream from the equity on their home by getting this so-called reverse mortgage. You never have to pay it back during your lifetime and you don't have to go through any hoops or anything. You get income checks just like a pension. They are like a dr- American dream come true for a lot of senior citizens. Right. This- I believe we, we had a, a client that I think she wanted to put a new roof and some carpet in her house. And, and we needed some monthly income for her. Right, I, was, exactly. I thought her income was a little too tight. So we set up one of these uh, RAMs, reverse annuity mortgage. It's a federally insured program for homeowners over the age of 62. It lets them derive an income stream from the equity in their homes by obtaining this reverse mortgage, and it's unlike the traditional mortgage, in one sense, you never make any payments to the bank. The bank makes payments to you. And you know, Doug, the nice thing about this is that the funds that our seniors obtain from um, having a reverse annuity mortgage, uh, having a reverse mortgage, is that they can use this money for any purpose, including uh, housing expenses such as taxes or insurance for fuel and maintenance, you know, the new carpet and uh, shutters or windows or, or a new roof or what have you, or you can go out shopping if you please. That's right. Not only that, the uh, the program allows you to be paid either in a lump sum or monthly advances. You can have a line of credit or you can have a combination of any three, depending on the type of RAM that you want. Uh, and the monthly payments can vary dramatically from as little as $300 a month to $1,000 a month that you could be receiving. But a lot of senior citizens are not aware that they don't have to be living in what we call, you know, house rich, cash poor. Right. And this is, is an excellent opportunity for any of our seniors that own their properties outright, have no mortgage, Which most, and need most seniors some don't extra have a, cash. Most seniors don't have a mortgage. Right. Usually they've accumulated uh, and they've... They paid, paid off, off their the mortgage, mortgage before they retire. They've or... been living in this house now for 30 years. Exactly. Uh, it's worth $150,000, but they're too tight. They're pension, they're Social Security. And this allows you to get a monthly payment for the rest of your life 
You never have to pay it back. That's the key thing, Linda. You never have to pay that loan back. What happens is right. after you're dead uh-huh. or after you vacate the house to go into a nursing home or when you permanently vacate the house, then you're given the chance or your estate's given the chance to put the house up for sale and pay off the mortgage. And you're right. The kids don't get that piece of it, but the kids wanted mom and dad to have it anyway. It was for them. So I think it's one of the outstanding programs. I'm just uh, I'm surprised that so few seniors know about the reverse annuity mortgage program and that it is a federally insured program. You can call our office and we'll be happy to give you that information. The number is 8727000. That's USA 7000. Well, Doug, Deborah, what else is new in the world of retirement and cash flow planning? Well, I bet what's on a lot of people's minds is, especially if you're a senior, the one mistake you can't afford to make is in regard to required minimum distributions. So you might want to know how to avoid this and avoid being a victim of this dreaded blunder. Yeah, like it or not, there are ample opportunities to derail your finances in retirement. You could, for example, neglect to create a budget or get penalized for enrolling late in Medicare or take on costly credit card debt at a time when you're most likely to struggle being able to pay it off. But the big mistake, the one mistake that you really don't want to make this year is neglecting your required minimum distribution. And unfortunately, maybe 50% of seniors are at risk of doing just that. Wow. If you're new to the world of required minimum distributions, or RMDs as they're called, here's a quick rundown. Anytime you have money in a traditional IRA or 401k, you're required to withdraw a certain amount on a yearly basis once you turn 70 and a half. The actual amount of your RMD will depend on the, your account balance coupled with your life expectancy. Yeah, we have to think about this now because the law doesn't say in the year that you turn 70. It says 70 and a half. So let's say that you turn 70 in July. Are you required to have an RMD taken out this year? No. But if you turned 70 when uh, in, say, April of this year, uh-huh. then you would be required. And, that, and now it's serious. It's very serious because if you don't do it, there's a 50% penalty. But the IRS does give you a little bit of leeway. Yes. You got to pay this required minimum distribution. It's got to be paid out of your IRA. Yes, it does. It's got to come out. And you have until March. Well, you got to get it out, first of all, by December 31 of this year. But if you forget and didn't do it, the IRS gives you a leeway to let you get it in, but then you got to go April. But then you've got to also get a double because right. you have to take your RMB yeah. for next year. Right, right. So you'd be actually making two taxable distributions from your retirement account in that next year. And if you want to prevent that, the only way to do it is to be certain to make that distribution in the year that you turn 70 and a half. Now, some seniors don't mind the required minimum distributions because they're already withdrawing funds from their retirement accounts regularly and thereby meeting the requirement. But for those who have another source of income, whether it's a business venture or a different set of investments, RMDs can be not just a nuisance, but also a tax-related hassle. Yeah, that's because money withdrawn from a traditional IRA or a 401k is taxed as ordinary income. So if it's not cash that you need, 
then it is uh, unneeded to be... Well, basically, it's unneeded income that you will have to pay tax on. Exactly. And yeah, so... That can be that can be frustrating for many people. Right. Now, what happens if you don't take your RMD? Well, it's simple. You're going to be liable for a 50% tax penalty on any amount you fail. So, for example, let's say that your required minimum distribution was uh, $15,000 and you didn't take it, then you're going to lose $7,500 of taxes that you got to pay in addition to getting out the money. I... So you definitely need to know how to avoid this. That's right. And if you're listening and this is your story or your concern and now you're wondering, do you have everything under control? Do you need help understanding what your uh, retirement accounts are going to require as a minimum distribution? If so, give us a call at Lewis Financial Management. Make a face-to-face appointment for a meeting and uh, call us anytime. Doug Lewis, my father, and I'm Deborah Lewis. We are both certified financial planners and we can help you with this problem. Call us during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Let's take another call, Doug. Wayne, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Hi, I enjoy your program. Good. Um, I'm one of those middle income overtaxed people. Okay. And, uh, how old are you? 40. 40 years old. And I don't really have a exact question, but, um, I make quite a bit of money. I don't ever seem to be able to save any. What's your income? Around, um, uh, low 70. <clears throat> 70,000. 40 years old. Married or single, Wayne? Married, three, three children. Married and three kids. All right. We got to find a question if we're going to answer a question, right? Right. right. So um, I just don't ever seem to be able to save any money. Um, Don't have any investments. Have a little retirement at at work, 401k type thing. And I just have a, the basic question, I guess, is just where do you start to analyze where you're at and where you need to go? All right. That's a real good question. Uh, Actually, The way Linda and I begin is we begin with something called the five keys. Uh, Lynn, you want to identify the five keys real quickly? Exactly. Um, Usually what we do is we get, first of all, your federal and state tax returns. That's key number one. Okay. Then secondly, we get a list of your assets and your liabilities. That's key number two. And I usually include a worksheet in the packet when I send it to people. And the third key would be your income. Key number three. And along with the income, we look at your withholdings. Or your quarterly estimates. Key number four. And lastly, your living expenses. We want to get some estimated figures as to what you're spending if every I, month. If I have those five keys in front of me, Wayne, then what happens is we can get a snapshot of the financial independence feasibility for a client. And this is really what we're after and what you should be after is how to achieve financial independence. Right. The if you will listen to the carefully of those five keys, the one that seems the most awkward is the one called living expenses. Do you know how much you're spending? Um, everything I make. <laughs> That's a very typical answer. It's not sufficient. I won't accept it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. In other words, I want to see how much you're spending monthly in groceries, how much you're spending monthly in dry cleaning, how much you're spending and so forth. An interesting illust- uh, um, 
um, exercise is if you will go through and identify your living expenses. And if you want, call the office during the week and Linda will send you a package for the five keys. But if you will, on that living expense sheet, go ahead and list all of the expenses that you can identify. And sometimes it means going back to your checkbook for the last three months and finding out what are your recurring monthly expenses. That will be very illustrative to you. Number two, there'll be some expenses, probably a number of them, which are not recurring monthlies. Things like clothing, vacations, charitable gifts, things that don't occur on a regular basis. Well, once we have the expenses listed on paper, then I go ahead and put the income and find out the delta. Now, the delta should be the difference. Almost always, I find that there is an excess on paper, and it says he's making 70000 he's spending, let's say, 40000 and of course, we looked at his income taxes, and that's 12000 That means there's 62000 so he's got $8,000 left over, and very often he says, I don't understand. There's nothing left over. Well, if indeed you have gone ahead and identified all of the expenses on paper, which are important, then anything else is being blown on stuff that's discretionary that you can make a decision about or not a decision. It's not an urgent need. And we start a plan we call a pay yourself first investment plan. If in that case, the example was $8,000, I divide it by 12 and I take that amount and have that invested automatically drafted from your checking account into some mutual fund of your choice at the beginning of each month. That forces you to be saving and accumulating for the future. Now, that's one possible story. The other possible story is where they are actually so debt-laden that there isn't any way to come up with anything, even on paper. Then we have to go to the expenses themselves and do budget control and break the expenses down into categories. What you should be doing is putting aside monthly towards accumulation for financial independence feasibility. In other words, you should be planning for the day that you have enough to where you can stop and you can support yourself from your asset base. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. Let me get your phone number so I can call down and get some further information. Sure. Wayne, that number is 872-7000. 872-7000. And if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to send you some information. And probably one thing that you and your wife should do is write down any questions that you have about your situation that you'd like to ask an ad- advisor like Doug. Okay? Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank thanks. you for calling, Wayne. You know, Lynn, once I have the five keys in front of me and I can have a quick snapshot of who they are, then it's real easy to see just what the issue is. But I really appreciate someone like Wayne wanting to know, well, how do I begin? And the beginning point is just that, to take a snapshot and see my financial statement, my income, my expenses, cash flow picture, and the tax picture. Exactly. Well, Doug, I had a caller call in at the office the other day. And one of the questions that he wanted to ask you about had to do with how small investors shouldn't fixate on individual stocks. If you want to speculate and try and play the markets, you can probably do better yourself picking stocks than putting your money in mutual funds. If. You see what I mean? If? If. If what? If what I just said. If you want to speculate and try and beat the markets. Oh. But the typical mutual fund investor, from the financial planner's viewpoint, is he a speculator? Probably not. 
does the financial planner want the individual to be speculating? Planners, I don't think, want them to do that. Planning is a process in which we're trying to plan for long-term needs. We're needs-oriented, trying to meet certain quantifiable needs, not trying to hit the hottest uh, stock or the highest-performing mutual fund and so forth. But for people that want to speculate, you can do better oftentimes on your own. However, I don't agree that you should be speculating. At least I always recommend to my clients, let's stay away from trying to speculate and make a quick buck, and let's focus on long-term planning needs. Well, you know, Doug, I'm, I'm finding that a lot more people are wanting to do planning because, I mean, I was surprised. For example, the other day we had a, an elderly woman come in, and she had a wrap account, and she was pretty disgusted with paying fees on this wrap account because, you know, all her money was in utility stocks and stocks and stocks and stocks. And for a person close to their 70s, you know, even she was beginning to feel like she didn't know exactly what was going on. So people do need to do planning, but they they can't always depend on one person to do it for them, right? Well, you need to have an overall view. I think that's the better approach. You need to be needs-oriented, focusing on it from the planner's viewpoint. In the last week, I've had two clients, Linda, who have dealt with something called disclaimers. Both of these clients are widows, one in California one here in North Carolina, whose husbands have recently died, and in their wills, they had the right to disclaim. Now, disclaiming is an estate planning strategy, and you have to walk through the process to help see, well, if I disclaim, meaning I don't want my inheritance, what happens to the money, where does it go, and usually the attorney stops at that point. The financial planner needs to go one step beyond that point to find out not only where does the money go back to, but how it's repositioned to support the income needs of the surviving spouse. So you can't just isolate a particular aspect of financial planning like investments. You've got to tie it into the estate arena. You've got to tie it into retirement planning. You've got to tie it into tax planning. And you've got to have some way of seeing it as a unified whole based on the needs of the client, not based on What's a good investment, quote unquote, a hot stock or a best performing mutual fund? I agree with you. I think that's essential that people need to look at what their needs are. And isn't that one of the reasons why we have people go through and figure out what their living expenses are? Financial planning focuses first on the living expense needs of the clients. Because you may have, you know, a certain amount coming in every month, but then you have all this outflow. And you need to know how much is going out so that in a worst-case scenario, you know what's needed, right? Right, Lynn. And then with what's left over, you do what? You do financial planning. Okay. Well, Doug, Donald had another question, and it had to do with looking at the 5, 10, and 20-year history of a fund. Usually, the hot fund of last year is not the fund to buy this year. That's the standard warning that financial planners and investment analysts always say, don't buy last year's hot fund. A mutual fund is not a magical set of numbers. There is no formula that can say what a particular type of mutual fund is going to do. A mutual fund is a group of men's minds. You are buying expertise when you place your money in the hands of a particular mutual fund manager or group of managers or team of managers. You can't make a categorization of, well, I mean, what is there in common about about 10 different mutual funds 
managers because they happen to have been the best performing funds last year or not. That's absurd. You've got to look at the management style of a particular mutual fund. My feeling is if you can go ahead and find a group of managers or a mutual fund with some managers who consistently have been in the top quartile, that's the top fourth of their competitors, of their peers, consistently year after year after year after year, then you have the best prospects for looking forward at having an acceptable return on your money, which will accumulate wealth for you. So it's it's important to look at the history, the past history. Of the manager and the style of the manager and where he places amongst his peers. Work with a financial planner. And if you have any questions locally, you can call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Doug, you know, someone asked me, is buying a $300,000 annuity financial planning? <laughs> uh, no, that's not financial planning. Uh, that is being sold an annuity, which may not at all be right for you. You know, I don't think many people understand that an annuity, I like to use the example in my office when we talk and explain investments to clients. We talk about all investments can be considered as chickens and the income that comes from them is eggs because it becomes a very useful metaphor. An annuity is a contract between you and the insurance company that says, we will give you 100%, Mr. Insurance Company, of all of our chickens and you give me the eggs And when I die, you keep my chickens. Now, that might be a good deal if you live 30 or 40 years. But suppose you die after one or two years. You lost all your chickens. And your wife, if you're a husband, she doesn't inherit anything. And so the annuity is a contract that says we will, the investor, will receive a stream of eggs, a stream of income, in exchange for giving up 100% of all of our investment, our chickens, to the insurance company. It's actually not even an investment, really. It's called risk transfer. Risk transfer methods, you know, Linda, we we, we saw a show the other night about the tulip uh, crash, you know, the tulip industry crash and, and the risks that were facing back in this, I think it was the 1600s and the shipping industry. There's always risks. And so insurance companies step in to say, we'll take the risk away from you. But here's the terms of our taking that risk. You're going to pay us and we're going to structure the deal in such a way that we make money and you have the risk taken away. So is it right to buy a $300,000 annuity, that's not financial planning. That's just buying an insurance policy, which may not be at all what you need. And your situation may change as you go into a retirement, right? That's right. Once you have triggered that annuity product, it's called the annuitization. It's an irreversible move. You cannot change your mind. So if you needed more money... It's not liquid anymore. No, it's a contract. You've signed the contract. You can't change it. Once you have annuitized it, you have, you know, 
It's all over. The decision has been made. I don't think you should ever go into an irreversible position in financial planning because you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know life changes, medical situations, and so forth. Financial planning is far more than just buying a product. And financial planning covers so many aspects, right? It covers cash flow planning. It does cover investment planning. And as we've said tonight, it covers tax planning. But what else? If you're a young couple, it covers college funding. And as Doug said, you may need insurance planning. How much insurance do you need? Have you got too much or maybe not enough? So these are the typical questions that we get every week at Lewis Financial Management. And if you've got questions like this, call us at Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. All right, Bob, I'll take your question now. How can I help you? This is Doug Lewis. Some information in relationship to tax-free bonds as a course to retirement. All right. Uh, add that to uh, other types of retirement, not a pension plan, but self-employed type uh, savings and things of that nature. And then look at... Um, Tax-free bonds from a standpoint of uh, an investment, say, of fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year concurrently, year after year, for, say, a 20-year time period. And what your attitude about that is toward building a, a retirement fund. And with that, I'll let you answer, and I'll hang up. Well, no, i got to ask you some questions because okay. I'm not right. clear what you're asking me, Bob. Right. Ask me a question. All right. Uh, first of all, how old are you? Forty-five. You're 45 years old, and you married or single? Married. You're married. Your income? Uh, $100,000. You're making a hundred thousand a year, and when are you looking to retire? How many years do you have? Twenty years. In twenty years, we're using sixty-five as a theoretical retirement age. All right. Is your wife employed? Or are you supporting your whole family? Supporting the whole family. And do you have stable income as a salary, or do you have your own business, or is it commission? What type of income is uh, it? Stable, stable. Own your own business, and also have stable salary coming in from other right. investments. So you don't. Well, I'm talking about from you, but from, from you, you're taking a hundred thousand from your business. That's correct. All right, and what I'm wondering is, is how how safe is your business? Oh, very. Okay, so you don't look, but you don't you don't see anything coming down the road that could broadside. You're not worried in, along those Correct. lines. Yeah. All right, what is your investment portfolio look? Well, first of all, at your company. By the way, is your company a, a sole proprietorship or a C corp or an S corp or partnership? How is it structured? I own uh, several businesses. Uh, you might as well say half and half, or S corps and half, or C corps. All right, about half of them. Are, so about half of your income is coming from S-Corp income and half of it from C-Corp? That's correct. All right. And what is your personal in, Do either of the – well, of course, your S-Corps. What, do your corporations – do you have any retirement plans in place? No. no. Pensions? No. Profit sharing? No. 401K? That's, no, only IRA. You do have IRAs? Yeah. All right. Uh, now, and do you have any SEP IRAs? No. All right. Your SEP IRAs allow you to put in, as you know, 15%. You could put in 15000 a year. Right. Right, you don't have any, so how much do you have in IRA money? About uh, $50,000 each, wife and husband. Well, you've been putting in for a long time, huh? Yeah. All right, so you've got about 50000 And what's the IRA money in? Uh, it's in uh, stocks. All right, what do you have in the way of a personal portfolio, Bob? Your personal investments? Uh, things like uh, blue chip stocks, things of that nature. Nothing speculative. Well... A lot of people would say if you're all in stocks, that's quite speculative if you compare it to bonds or to mutual funds and so on. Well, we have other bonds too, but I feel like probably the most of it is, is located between uh, stocks and 
and uh, savings accounts. And uh, all right, but how much do you have in the stock market? About uh, forty-five thousand. About forty-five thousand in individually owned stocks. Right. And what else do you have? Uh, about uh, forty to fifty thousand dollars in bonds. Forty to fifty, and those are corporate or, or tax-free bonds. Those are tax-free bonds. Those are munis. All right. Are they North Carolina munis, or what type of munis are they? North Carolina General Obligation Insured AAA bonds. All right. Uh, what else do you have in the way of personal investments? Or is uh, that basically it? That's that's close enough. Yeah. All right. Now, all right. Now I got a little bit of a picture of you. And what's your living expense? What are your living expenses looking like, Bob? Uh, they're they're normal t- uh, type. Nothing that. Uh, well, I've I've got clients who give me normal spending ten thousand a month and normal spending two thousand a month. Yeah, well, I would I would say it's probably eight to ten. Okay, eight to ten thousand a month. All right. Uh, now, what's your question in terms of? Now, let me rethink that. It's probably more like five to six to be quite straightforward about it. All right. So five thousand, but you're spending sixty thousand to seventy two thousand a year. You figure your estimated uh, lifestyle is, is costing you. Okay, now now let's get the question in front of us. Now that I know who you are a little bit, you're looking at building a retirement program by using uh, municipal bonds one at a time. Yeah, buying five or ten thousand dollars worth of uh, AAA general obligation bonds uh, insured uh, at a time to the tune of uh, say twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars a year. I don't like it. Tell you the truth, uh, that's not what. That's not the way that I would go ahead. You know, I I I. I'm trying to figure out where you, you know, what's your objective in, in in doing it this way. Well, my objective in that situation would be that at age 65, you would have the amount of dollars invested in bonds that um, would bring you interest back at tax-free bonds from tax-free bonds, mm-hmm. and that you would be getting some tax-free income out of it. Yeah, the problem that I see in a portfolio structuring it like that for yourself, I is that you're basically assuming that you're going to hold every bond to maturity, Bob. I'd much rather have you putting the same amount of money into a mutual fund of tax-free bonds because what you're doing there is you're basically hiring a manager to sell your bonds when it's the right time to sell them and reinvest them and get better bonds and get higher yields and so forth and get a total return, which you're not allowing for in your own situation at all. You're not factoring in any total return. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. Uh, and I look at why $45,000 in stocks again – uh, it sounds like you're playing the stock market, but I guess maybe I should ask you, are you, are you trading those stocks or are you just buying them and holding them? No, I'm, I'm buying them and holding them. Again, I'd ask, you know, then, then, then what you're doing is you're giving up the opportunity to go ahead and accumulate wealth, and you're just sitting there holding, and that really is not, is, is not the way that I think that you should be managing, you know, your wealth from what, from, and your, and your future income from what you've told me here. But my point is, you're not going to make it at all the way you're going. You've got to have some growth in your portfolio and some structured plan. Your recommendation to accomplish that is by doing what now? I, well, personally, I'd have a financial plan produced. Right. I think with your income and with your, and, and, and what you're trying to achieve, you've got a handle on what you want to do. You really need to have a financial plan produced, design where you want to be, how to get there, and I would do it with managed money rather than individual monies. I'd stay away from a stockbroker and I'd stay away from buying stocks individually or buying bonds individually because you're buying, but you, but the real question is not when to buy, it's when to sell. See what I'm saying? Right. You know, and also the question of diversification. You should be in large pools of money, which really I think is a function of, of a mutual fund of whatever it is we're using to structure the portfolio. If you'd like more information, um, you can call me at the office. 
That number to call in Raleigh is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay, well, very good. I appreciate your time. All right, you're welcome, Bob. If I can help you any more, give me a call at my office, and I can give you a little direction about where to find a financial plan. All right, thanks so much. Okay, Bob. Thank you for calling. Well, Doug, what's new in the area of retirement planning? Well, Linda, millionaires are sweating retirement as much as anybody, and that's according to some survey recently done by very wealthy Americans, which showed that the wealthiest 1% of all Americans have the greatest fear that they won't have enough money in retirement. And, you know, essentially, everyone that's working is going to face retirement down the road. But the biggest worry that these folks have is that inflation will erode their retirement income, forcing them to reduce their standard of living. Right? That's right. You know, Lynn, the wealthy have good reason to be concerned because most of the 150 people that were surveyed have invested more than 40% of their savings in fixed income investments like bonds and cash. And that's not going to earn enough to meet their goals. In other words, these wealthy people who are concerned about their future, they're right. They're not going to make it. And that leaves them basically with three choices, either to shift some savings to stocks and stock mutual funds or to save more or just to lower their expectations. And, um, you know, I guess some other findings are that wealthy people over age 50 are more likely to fall short of their retirement goals uh, the survey says that they want an average $218,000 a year, right? But their portfolios will only produce about 126000 Isn't that something? Only half of what they need is going to be able to be met. And the wealthiest, 32% of Americans, uh, they've got about a third of their retirement savings in stocks, 24% in bonds, and about 18% in cash. They've got a little bit in real estate, a little bit in other things like private businesses, But they've got problems also, Linda, because uh, they just don't know where it's all headed. But knowing all of these statistics, Linda, what's the answer? Well, I guess the bottom line is you have to have goals. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there, but I don't think anyone has more money than goals. And you have to have goals. You have to have a direction in which you're going, right? You know, it's a funny thing. It almost sounds like a platitude, what you're saying, Linda. But strangely enough, in in my practice, I sit down with people and I spend maybe anywhere oh, over three, four, five sessions. Who knows? It might be 15 or 25 hours with them and, and realize they have not crystallized their goals. They don't know what their goals are. And the wealthy are even more concerned. I mean, are a bigger problem. They just don't know their goals. I can think of a couple I met with recently, Linda. And I did a, a long, involved financial plan on them. That number at the office, by the way, is 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. But although we dealt with their investments and their retirement and their estate and their insurance and their uh, um, cash flow and their income taxes, I dealt with all of these areas separately. But you want to take a guess where we spent the most time? In the goal section, they could not agree, especially he and she. He had one set of goals. No, she had one set of goals. He had another set of goals, but he he wasn't quite sure what his goals were. And the more I got into her goals, she wasn't sure. And really, the the solution to the dilemma, to the distress, and by the way, in their case, it was even causing some uh, bitterness in the marriage, was to need to go ahead and uh, or stress is to... Get the goals crystallized. Get the goals 
in front of you so you can tackle them and solve them. The whole question is working with a financial planner to uh, list the goals and know that they are going to be met. Yeah, identify the goals because you probably, most people think about different things when it comes to money. And if you're, if you're like the average person who works hard, accumulates, particularly for people that, that have accumulated, then the dilemma is, okay, are we going to just do this until we drop? Or do we have some goals in mind as to when we're going to retire and how do we reach those goals? Right? Right. Well, I think for most people, Doug, uh, anyone that's invested in different vehicles needs to sometimes stand back and just take a look at where are they and what do they have and what's it doing for them and should they make change, right? With regard to investment portfolios, the biggest problem is that there is no asset allocation pattern established on people's portfolios. I look at their portfolios when they come to see me and I say, why do you have this? And say, I don't know, my stockbroker recommended. Why do you have that? Oh, I don't know. I just got it. And there's no overall pattern controlling the uh, the investment decisions in the investment portfolio. And that's called an asset allocation pattern. Without one, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, people, people should uh, certainly have goals in mind. And if they're working with an advisor, they should have a comfort level that what they're being advised about is to their advantage. Uh, don't just walk in the dark. Right. And if we can be of more assistance to you, you can call me at the office during the week. And the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 605 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.